0: Hey, friends, and welcome to another episode of Simple Syrup, a podcast by Junction Coffee filled with stories, thoughts, and musings with the intention of sweetening your day. This month marks the one-year anniversary of COVID-19 dawning the shores of Oklahoma City. And consequently, thank you to a certain NBA player who happened to be playing in our hometown but also spreading the virus across the entire country, most of the nation went on lockdown. And in a lot of ways, it has been very rough. For some, it's been a living hell. For others, it's been a moderate inconvenience. But in either situation, we are a people that will never be the same. I have spent a lot of time reflecting on the past year. What was good about it, what was hard about it, what we've learned, how we've grown, how we've suffered, how I've cried, how many more gray hairs I've gotten, and how more creative my wife has become at entertaining our children. But among all of those things, I have also reflected on a few others. I've began to pay attention to rhythms. I've always been one that's prone to recognizing patterns, but I've began to pay more attention to the ebbs and flows of the routines and seasons in which we live our lives, not just on an annual basis, but on a lifelong basis, and sometimes beyond that. And in my reflecting, I have noticed something intriguing, that merely a few weeks after our shutdown was the celebration of Easter. Now, if you are new here or don't remember from when I introduced myself on our first episode, I was once a vocational pastor, which is simply a fancy way of saying I got paid to do it. And I still am an ordained minister in a tiny little part of the Protestant Christian tradition, a small little subsection called the Nazarenes, sort of close cousins with the Methodists. Not like the ones you only hear about in weird stories and see awkwardly at family reunions, but you don't really know how to introduce yourself, and maybe if you made out with them it would be okay. Not that kind of cousin. More like the ones you get invited to be the last person in line at their wedding party, and you're not exactly sure if you got invited because of who you are or your relationship, but you know that the... Different lines definitely balance out, and that might have something to do with it, but either way, you're just excited to be a part of the wedding group. Those kind of cousins. Anyway, because I was a pastor, and that is a part of my story, and because I am still actively involved in a faith community, it is one of the things that shapes the lens by which I see the world. And I tell you this now because you have trusted me to put my voice in your earholes. and I don't take that trust lightly. So in the spirit of transparency and trust, I'm going to tell you that this episode is going to lean more towards that part of my lens than some of our previous episodes. And while this episode is in no way a covert effort to proselytize anyone, which is another fancy word of saying convert, I do know that many of us, myself included, carry with us wounds from Christians that have been taught to weaponize their faith. And I want to be very clear that that is not what we are going to do here. And I want to be sensitive to the reality that some of our listeners might be triggered in part by the discussion of God or Jesus or the Christian Bible. And I hope that you would trust me enough to journey with me as I reflect on patterns and rhythms of this past year, but also things that happened over the last century and millennia ago. And hopefully come out on the other side with more peace about 2020 and a little bit more hope for the future. So if you are still with me, let our journey begin with pine cones. This year in California, almost four and a half million acres of public and private property were burned due to wildfires. An absolutely devastating blow to the city's landscape, towns, families, livelihoods and property. Not to mention an overwhelming, tragic loss of life, adding, of course, to the death toll of COVID-19. But as I reflected on these wildfires, I was reminded of another very famous wildfire back in 1988, the Yellowstone wildfires. Now, while in comparing to the California wildfires of 2020, 1.2 million acres back in 1988 seems like a drop in the bucket, but the reason the 1988 wildfires was so burned into people's minds, pardon the pun, was due to the tragic loss of millions of acres of beautiful, world-renowned landscape that was a global tourist attraction, and at the time was understood to be a loss that would never be recovered. But then, something amazing happened. Enter serotinous pine cones. A few years after the 1988 fires, park rangers and forest workers began to discover a plethora of saplings sprouting up along the areas that had naturally burned, to the tune of 12,000 seedlings per acre. Now, you may be asking yourself, how, why, what, who, where, when, or maybe just a couple of those. The beauty is found in the wonderful species of lodgepole pines. Lodgepole pines are tall, skinny, straight, have very few limbs down on the bottom, and get their name because they're good at being used to build lodges. But lodgepole pines are a little bit finicky when it comes to reproducing. Not to fault them, they just need conditions to be just right. Nothing wrong with that. Like normal pine trees, their seeds are held within the pine cone, makes sense. But unlike typical pine cones, their cones are covered And a very sticky resin. And this resin only melts at certain temperatures, anywhere between 104 and 156 degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. And without that resin melted away, the seeds can never be released. Now, these seeds are safe in the harbor of the cone and can survive up to 50, 60, sometimes even longer years. But unless that resin is gone, the cone will never open up and the seed will never fall to the ground and can never potentially germinate to create a new sapling. And that, as the Yellowstone arborists discovered, is where the fires come in. If you have ever traveled to Yellowstone National Park, you will know it is north, it is in high elevation, and it is not typically a place where the ambient temperature reaches in excess of 100 degrees very often. And while researchers have found that under certain situations, lodgepole pine cones can in fact open without the aid of a fire, conditions have to be quite perfect. A nice relaxing day in the sun, not too cool of a breeze, maybe a very fine dinner, glass of wine. You know what I mean. But introduce a forest fire, and every single pine cone on the ground, even if it's been there for 50 years, will all of a sudden begin to seed. Now you might be thinking to yourself, but there is a forest fire. Everything has been burned. The ground is squenched. How can a seed possibly take root in this environment? Well, what these smart people found out was that just beneath the surface of the ground, life was still teeming. And in fact, the forest fire would clear excess debris that could potentially choke out these young saplings. It could also remove invasive species that could potentially eat these saplings and be hazardous, or bugs or beetles that could kill the new trees. And even better, accelerate the decomposition of the organic material on the forest floor, making the ground exceptionally fertile. In fact, just one year... After the forest fires, the teams of researchers discovered that not only had the saplings grown, but they had grown at a rate faster than if there had been no fire. And so, the strong and elegant lodgepole pine and its patient, prudent serotonous pine cones are a reminder to us that out of the ashes of the deepest kinds of devastation, there can be new life. And in fact, sometimes, the chapter of death and devastation as a part of a larger story is sometimes the only path by which a certain type of new life can be born. But this is not an unfamiliar story for us, nor is it an unfamiliar story for nature. Many species on our planet not only have adapted to harsh conditions, but thrive in them. In fact, necessitate barrenness or desolation or even destruction, with even a gentle butterfly requiring a forest fire in order to produce the only kind of nectar that it will eat. And our cultural narratives, our heroes, our legends, our movies, our tales, our news articles, all center around this idea that out of the ashes, new life is born. Pick any superhero you want and think of their backstory. Their stories are riddled with death and destruction and sorrow and mourning and experiences that have left them scarred. But those experiences are also what shapes them into the hero that they become. It motivates the character that they should be, and it molds and forms and shifts them. And they would not be the hero that they are without those backstories. They would not be the person they became without experiencing what they had. And here is where my pastoral lens begins to take over. Easter is just a few weeks after the anniversary of the most devastating year many of us have ever lived. For Christians, Easter is the holiday that celebrates Jesus overcoming death. It celebrates what we believe is the time when the Savior of the world, after spending three days dead in a tomb, comes walking out. But what many in the Protestant tradition don't celebrate is the season that precedes Easter, known as Lent. And often Lent is described as a season of self-plagnation, self-suffering. Where people punish themselves and cry, woe is me, for 40 days before Easter, wallowing in their own self-guilt of not being worthy of God's love. That is not exactly what it's all about. What the Lent I and my tradition practice is a recognition of our own brokenness. Simply admitting that we don't have our lives together and that we need help. It is a season where we mourn the evils of the world a season where we lean into the ways that things are not right and take a good hard look at what falls short of the way we believe things are supposed to be, what we call the kingdom of God. Now, if you are listening to this, you don't have to be a religious person to know that 2020 felt like a year-long season of Lent, that everywhere we turned, something was going wrong, and that no matter what we did or how hard we tried, We couldn't fix it. The practice of Lent starts by placing ashes on our foreheads. It is a symbol of humility. It is a symbol of lament. It's a symbol of grief. But it is a symbol that begins a journey, knowing where it ends. It is a symbol that states, out of the ashes of destruction and death will come new life. There is a weaponized version of the story of God that will claim that because we are so bad and God is so good, we have to be punished for what we do. And to be honest, there are scriptural references that back that story up. However, I mentioned my own tradition specifically because we, as the Wesleyan family, read scripture through the lens of Jesus, who, according to the stories written about him, more than anything, forgave and healed. And that when we take that into consideration, our understanding being that Jesus is the best representation of God that we have, we begin to understand that perhaps God does not cause terrible things to happen, but rather God responds to terrible things happening. Healing the sick, restoring value to the ostracized communities, taking care of widows and orphans, restoring life to places that were once barren. And when I start to draw all of this together, I think of the 1988 fire. It started with a lightning strike, a random freak accident that brought devastation and heartbreak to the entire world. I think about our heroes that rise out of the ashes to become a place of refuge and strength and hope. But I also think about villains who have very similar origin stories to heroes, but instead of death and destruction being a chapter in their story, they let it become the title of their story. And the very human desire to not be alone in pain and suffering also becomes weaponized. And the villain then seeks to draw others into their own pain by inflicting pain on them, instead of allowing those that seek to heal pain enter into their darkness with them. But as we begin to take steps towards what feels like the end of a year-long Lent season, I wonder how many of us will embrace Easter. How many of us will choose to journey through pain and suffering towards new life, allowing the things of this year to shape us and form us into things that we could have never been without it. Or if we will allow the journey to end in Lent and allow ourselves to remain scorched and scarred forever. Certainly, all of us long for healing and restoration and hope. The way that the earth longs for spring after a hard winter, the way that our stories continue to remind us of heroes rising from the ashes of despair, surely within all of us, is the desire to push past death and destruction towards newness. But you cannot have resurrection without death. Easter does not happen without Good Friday, and lodgepole pines do not reproduce without forest fires. And it's really easy to take a statement like that and think that God is a mean kid on an anthill with a magnifying glass. But friends, bad things happen, sometimes for no reason at all. Sometimes they happen because people make bad decisions, and sometimes they happen because people want others to join in their own pain. But as we sit on the cusp of spring, on the anniversary of the pandemic, and a few days away from Easter, friends, I would like to invite all of us to explore the ways by which we can be made new through all of it. Perhaps this year, rather than being defined by death and destruction, we can be shaped by it into something new, something better. And maybe, just maybe, the world can be sweeter because of it. And so, friends, may you rise out of the ashes of the dumpster fire of 2020, of COVID-19, and all the other things. And may you be made new into something you never could have been otherwise. And may your days be ever more sweet. Thanks for listening. This episode was very loosely adapted by a sermon I wrote a couple weeks back. A link to that, if you are interested, and the citations for all the fun facts that I spewed into your eardrums just now can be found in the description. And as always, if you like what you hear, please share with your friends, give us a few stars, maybe write a review, Thumbs up, subscribe, smiley face, clickety click, click click. you know what to do. And again, a huge thank you to Workflow OKC for letting me use their space to record. Awesome people doing awesome stuff, getting your work a flow in. outro music. <laughs>